It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main And there they are. A couple of the beasts uh, in our world, <laughs> at least the, mm-hmm. two, the two beasts in our world. And, of course, <laughs> my beast has uh, gone away and hid. Uh, and your beast is uh, on the porch, right? Yep. Okay. Waiting waiting for some some vehicle, probably a blue one with letters on a something arrow looking like a smile going by that will get him barking. Yes. Uh, woof, woof. Yeah. And those for those of you listening on the podcast... Uh, when we uh, stream this live, uh, and you ought, you ought to check it out sometime, go to MikeNovak.net or watch the live stream on uh, YouTube. Um, just go to the Mike Novak Show. And, and uh, while you're there, subscribe. Subscribe, and, um, and you get to see uh, our two beasts here uh, that we show at the beginning of, of every show. And boy... The four-legged, the four-legged type. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you talking about um i don't know you could could have you know gremlins in the attic or something i don't know i I don't know but uh i gotta tell you there's there's so much going on in the world especially in the uh the the environmental world that i don't it's it's impossible to keep up with everything you and i were just trading emails this week furiously about um everything happening and we're going to cover some of it on today's show very um Pleased that we're going to have uh, in just a couple of minutes, uh, Commissioner Kim Kimberly Neely Du Blue Du. Okay, boy. All right, let's get Kim Du Bouclay. Kim, yeah, I, Kim Du Bouclay is the easiest way to say it. Uh, but uh, yeah, there and and don't even get into how many different ways the thing is spelled when you go online. Uh, she and I talked about that the other day. Uh, but she is a commissioner with the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago, and we're going to be talking um, about some of the initiatives they're doing right now, and they have a lot going on. So stand by for that. But at 9.30, we bring in um, uh, Raj Patel, and I, I I don't know. that He's a fancy guy. So, um, but so is Kim, you know, we got a commissioner and then we got uh, a film director. And so are our two guests. Um, yeah, everybody's kind of fancy today. They're, they're all activists, but, uh, it's not often we have, a, a New York times bestseller author 
uh, on our program, and, and and Raj is is that. Um, and but that's not why he's here. He's going to be talking about his film for uh, the One Earth Film Festival, which begins on the third of March. So that's coming up, and we wanted to make sure that we let people know ahead of time. It, it's virtual, mostly virtual, but you can go to some events uh, in person. Um, and I've already had people. The opening night, the opening I, night gala on the fourth is right. at the plant. And I've already had people who um, who have written to me and say, "Hey, how can I, how can I get involved with this?" And so uh, we're happy that uh, they are asking us uh, about that. Um, but Raj Patel is the uh, co-director, co-producer of the Ants and the Grasshopper, which I watched the other night and was really moved by it. It's a it's a really excellent film, um, as yeah. I imagine all of the films are uh, in this uh, this the eleventh. One Earth Film mm-hmm. Festival. So uh, 9.30, we talked to him uh, from Austin, Texas. And then uh, at 10 o'clock, we bring in uh, Annette Prince and Kim Polka, who are involved in the Carvana Tower in Skokie, the, that issue that we have been covering on this program now for several weeks. And it is uh, actually, it is more than several weeks uh, but um, the uh, the village of Skokie wants to build a Carvana Tower along the east. Wants to allow Carvana to build. Well, the village. Yeah. Okay. They've approved a tower that Carvana would build. Um, either way, it's uh, you know they had to get the go ahead from the village of Skokie, and it's 14 stories, and it's going to be near Harms Woods, um, and it's going to be lighted from the inside with glass. All glass. All glass, as you've Real seen. These, right. And if that ain't a bird magnet of death, I don't know what is. Um, and unfortunately, the Board of Trustees approved it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and now we're going to talk about what happens next. And uh, we're going to have Annette Prince on the show. She's uh, uh, with the Chicago Bird Collision Monitors. And uh, we're going to have Kim Polka, who, who lives in Skokie and started a petition uh, against the tower, got 6,800 signatures. And when you consider how many people there are actually in the, in the, in the village of Skokie altogether, you, you think, wow, that's a lot. 1,200 of the people who signed that petition against the tower live in Skokie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to ask them what is happening next, and we'll talk about uh, what the city, uh, the village, claims it, it did to mitigate the the strike probability uh, from the tower and whether that is uh, appropriate and whether it the mitigation will work um, and so that and of course meteorologist Rick DeMaio will be here this morning I'm expecting him to send me extra stuff any second <laughs> that I get to try to download while I'm piloting the space shuttle here uh, I guess I should call it SpaceX. Uh, to to bring us uh, up to speed with that. No, but, no, 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 no. All right. I, one thing. That up. No, no. Okay. No. One thing before we get going uh, and bring in uh, the commissioner that I that I wanted to show you because I talk about this all the time, and and I apologize to the people uh, listening on the podcast uh, because they're not going to get to see this. And again, it's a good reason to go to MikeNovak.net or or to follow us on one of our social platforms where you can see the, the video stream. You know how I talk about 10,000 sparrows, uh, at my feeder 
all the time. Well, here are the uh, 10,000 sparrows um, uh, on the outdoor feeder in front. Um, and nice. it looks and it looks like I've speeded it up, but it's not sped up at all. It's just how how they they flit around. There, what what are you looking well, I at? I would venture to guess those aren't all sparrows up there. Uh, um, they sure look like it to me. Like oh, and then then they, that's the best part is when Ooh. they go and they just all fly off there. But here, my my feeders of my thistle feeders have been filled with. Um, Goldfinches that are getting their yellow feathers, yay spring. Pine siskins, red poles. See, so, I, I guess I guess I got to get rid of that stuff I'm putting up there and put up thistle. Um, mm-hmm. And then here's the backyard, and there's my downy woodpecker. Um, and I guess it's a male because it has a little red spot on it. And um, and you can see this guy. He's on the snag there in my yard. That's yeah. That's a dead uh, heptacodium. That he's uh, uh, that chirping is not him. You'll hear him chirp a couple of times, just sort of a cheep, cheep, uh, as he makes his way up the uh, the um, the snag there and the trunk. Uh, but that is the coolest thing is when uh, and I feel like I've got my own downy woodpecker. Uh, You've turned into a bird watcher. Oh, uh, you know there are cans of corn that know more about bird watching than i do okay uh, but you're out there you're looking you're you, and, you're and identifying which woodpecker you've got up there great trying trying to do it i i can now identify uh, a house um uh finch so uh, i know what they look like and and they're that guy all right but here's the other thing that i'm gonna i'm gonna pop on and this is what usually happens at my feeder uh, whoop uh-huh. whoop uh, it's the uh, the squirrel um, who uh, they got to eat too. Watch this; they they're really good at climbing <laughs> right up that thing. And mm-hmm. oh yeah, look at that! It's a bird feeder. Uh, I think I'll just kind of grab onto that. And uh, you know, the good news though is that when the squirrel grabs the bird feeder and 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 start it swings around like that, um, uh, the chunks go onto the ground, and then of course the birds are hovering underneath, waiting for the the food to to hit the snow because that's what we have now is snow um and uh i I see the the squirrels and the pigeons as much at my feeder as i do any other bird so so we've gone from cat videos to squirrel videos we've gone to squirrel videos that's how sad we are (laughs) which i think means it's uh it's time to get serious here and bring in our our first guest and uh that is uh kimberly neely uh, do blue clay, uh, which I still can't say because I'm trying, I'm trying to do this right. So that, uh, that, uh, you know, there, we talked the other day, Kim, and you said, yeah, you can call me Kim. Or you can call me Kim do blue clay, or you can call me Kim Neely do blue clay, uh, because a lot of my friends know me that, and I can't get any of it right. So, uh, uh welcome. How are you doing this morning? Just don't call me late for dinner, but I'm bump. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and and Kim is uh, as you can see in the background. There's a piano. She's going to do a number for us uh, <laughs> uh, in a little bit. Uh, no, that's that's your daughter, uh, and your daughter's serious about music, isn't she? She's very serious. She's studying in London. She just finished her degree from the Berklee College of Music. She was recently signed to a recording contract, so she's just doing her thing. Oh, congratulations! You didn't, you didn't mention yeah. the recording contract to me before. Oh, there's that. 
<laughs> wow, I'm impressed. Okay, well, yeah. we're definitely going to have to have a number uh, perform for us at some point. Um, but uh, here we are, and uh, I, oh, I, I need to congratulate you. Be, and I know it was um, a year and a half ago, but you were reelected to the uh, Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. Uh, in 2018, you were elected to a two-year term, and then in 2020, uh, reelected to a six-year term. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I'm very happy and proud to be a commissioner on the Metropolitan Water Reclamation Board, serving the residents and businesses of Cook County. So I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy that I was reelected to do my job. <laughs> to do your job. You might as well do your job. Since you got reelected, you might as well do your job. Lots um, of work to be done. Welcome yeah. back to the show. Great to have you back on. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, and, and you get to do it uh, from the comfort of uh, of the recording studio there, um, which is lovely. <laughs> I, in fact, I should I should bring in the, the look at look at how lovely that is with the oh, piano and the table in the background. <laughs> it looks great. So why don't you uh, very briefly, because uh, uh, as you and I mentioned the other day, Kim, um, there are many, many, many people who have no idea what the MWRD does. Uh, why don't you explain your mission a little bit? Absolutely. So I always like to start these discussions by saying that the MWRD is the most important agency that no one knows about. So what we do, we're not the city water department, so don't call any of us to fix your water bill. What we do is we deal with wastewater and the water that leaves your house. So anything, every time you run your dishwasher, when you wash your dishes, when you run your washer and dryer, when you take a shower, all the water that leaves your house and goes down the drain into our sewer system, we collect that water along with rainwater and stormwater, we collect that water, bring it to one of our seven reclamation plants, we clean it and we reclaim it and make sure it doesn't make its way, the wastewater doesn't make its way back into our fresh water supply, which happens to be Lake Michigan. And I'd also like to say that the Great Lakes, most people don't know, the Great Lakes supply 70% of the United States fresh water supply. So we are sitting on, a, on the, one of the world's greatest resources right outside of our window and it's our job to protect it and make sure that it stays clean and safe and that we have safe drinking water. Because as most Chicago and Cook County residents know, our drinking water comes from the Great Lakes, but more specifically Lake Michigan. Right. So, and and Kim, excuse me a second, do you cover no. just uh, Chicago and Cook County or are you further? No, we just cover uh, Cook County, most of Cook County, like 98% of Cook County. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't, where, where's the 2%? Um, so, we, uh, so we, I'm going to give you the numbers. We, we cover 882 square miles, which includes 128 suburban communities and about 10 million people, 10 million people each day, which is about 5 million Cook County residents. And that's a huge responsibility when it comes to, you know, clean water. Like you said, you don't deliver the water, but you're responsible for the water that flows out and making sure that is cleaned and is able to be reused. So before our agency was created, when someone would flush the toilet or, or um, there was a big flooding event, the water would drain directly into the Chicago River, the wastewater, and then the wastewater would then flow directly into Lake Michigan. And you can imagine the problems that that would. <laughs> well, you know. we, f we fixed that. <laughs> we, we turned the river around, so we send it to St. Louis now. So... Uh... Uh, yeah. but, but we don't want to be sending our wastewater to St. Louis, so that's what, where the MWRD comes in. Exactly. So we clean it, but when we send it down, it's perfectly clean. 
Yeah. And you also include um, the North Shore Channel is included? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're protected, Peggy, just to let you know. (laughs) I'm Lake County. Oh, that's right. Well, okay, you're right. Absolutely. Um, so it all, ties, it all ties in together. It all ties in together. And the county line, obviously. Yeah. Right. It stop just because the county stops. Right. Well, and, and that's really actually a really, really good point. Um, I consider you more of a regional agency mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. everything is connected. So I, I imagine you have to work uh, closely with other regional agencies. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and speaking of flushing toilets, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things you're doing that is very interesting, and, and, and folks might have read about this, one of the ways that we might be able to predict hotspots for coronavirus, COVID-19, and whatever else comes down the pike uh, is our wastewater. And you are now working with the UIC, the University of Illinois at Chicago, Uh, Mm -hmm. to study that. How is that project working? So the way that works is that we uh, allow the University of Illinois to collect samples from around our seven plants. And what they can do is they can test for COVID through the wastewater and we can detect it days, sometimes weeks before an actual outbreak occurs. And so what that does is it allows the public health agencies to kind of predict, possibly predict where the next outbreak may occur. So it's a very important project. We work hand in hand with UIC, and it seems to be quite successful. Uh, how did how did that uh, get initiated? Uh, and you've been doing this for almost a year now, right, or over a year? Yes. Um, so the way it was initiated is um, we saw a way to collaborate. They were already doing the testing. Of course, we have our seven plants around the county. It just seemed like a natural partnership for us to get together and um, you know provide data that might be helpful to helping to end this pandemic, which I think is a goal for everyone. Uh, And you provide uh, samples to UIC. Now, do those come from your waste treatment plants or do you go on site in various parts of the Cook County and and gather samples? Uh, How do we know where the hotspot is going to be? So what they do is they actually go around to different hot spots or different water sampling spots around the different water waterways, and they do that, I believe, on a daily basis and test those different samples to predict where an outbreak may occur. Now, um, sometimes it's difficult to pinpoint a specific neighborhood because if you can imagine, let's say, a plant like Stickney services a number of neighborhoods, but we can get a more general view which is helpful, even if it can't be as specific or as direct as we'd like. So the idea is that even, okay, that's because that's what I was wondering about, is that if you're getting general samples, it's going to be hard to pinpoint exactly where that came from, but it gives you a, a bigger picture of whether COVID might be in our, our area. Our area, precisely, exactly. Okay. Um, are, are you looking? Go ahead, Peggy. Um, I was looking at something else on the press release about um, testing the water for COVID, and it mentioned you're also able to find uh, areas where there might be, say, prescription drugs being disposed of through the waste system and uh, similar issues. Yes, and so prescription drug um, issues going going down the toilet is a really big issue for me. You know, I was raised to flush your so I was told when I was raised to flush a prescription medicine down the toilet. And as we've learned, that is a big no-no. 
because yeah. when you touch a, a drug down the down the toilet, we cannot clean out um, antibiotics or 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 other you know very strong prescription drugs from the water, wastewater. So it actually stays in there. So we have really taken on um, a leadership role in, in pushing a lot of our drug take back programs, so that consumers are one, number one educated, so that they know not to do that. And then B, we provide locations for our residents to bring their drugs in on a regular basis so that they have some place to dispose of them. I mean, also part of that education is to know that a lot of drugstores like Walgreens and CVS will actually take your drugs back. They actually have um, containers where they'll you know, set up in front of their pharmacies where you can take your drugs, but most people don't know that. So that's a really important point, and thank you for bringing that up. Uh, well, and do the police still... Uh, accept uh, drug containers? So the Cook County Sheriff's offices uh, will accept them. I'm not sure municipal police do, but the Cook County's, the Cook County. A lot of the suburban police departments do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's something we've talked about for years. Um, We've had, we had conversations with uh, Deborah Shore back when she was an MWRD commissioner. She's now the uh, regional director for the EPA. Um, And, it's such a big deal because it, it, it can get into, oh, yes, uh, <laughs> really, yes. What, a, what a good thing. Um, it, it gets into our water supply, and it's really hard. It's hard to measure, um, and it's hard to know what the impact yeah. will yeah. be. And it's on, hard to clean it. And not just on people, but, you know, on all the fish and all the other right. water and everything else. Yeah. To your point, um, because drugs are controlled substances, they actually have to have a uniform policeman on site when they're collecting the drugs. Yeah. So, uh, folks, if we can just give you one word of advice, um, and, and, and I'm amazed that when you grew up, Kim, you were told to flush them down the toilet. Uh, I don't remember anything like that in my family, but um, uh, I'm, it's possible my folks did. Um, but please don't do that. And sadly, people are still doing it today. Well, oh yeah, I'm sure they are. They figure that's the easiest way to deal mm-hmm. with it. It's like out of sight, out of mind. Just put right. it, you know, flush it, boom, it goes. And I guess they figure that, uh, well, you guys will treat the water. Um, exactly. I think people don't really think about when they flush things down the toilet, what happens to it. So, you know, part of my job is to bring awareness around things that, you you know, should not be flushed, specifically um, prescription drugs and anything that is biodegradable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like toilet or, paper. Or that clogs things up, yes. <laughs> right. Like, not, you can't flush your mask. You can't even recycle your mask. You know, nothing like that. So, you, be, you know, yeah, and that's, that is. Plant. Go ahead, sorry. sorry. I was going to say, I don't know if you've ever toured our plants, but if you can, you can hear the stories that are different things that some of our engineers say they find, you know, from the wastewater that people flush. It's pretty amazing. Well, and it, and it affects people on a home level as well. Um, a couple of years ago, my, uh, my basement backed up and I had a guy come down to do the rotting and he went in there and found a plastic bag. Now, obviously, I didn't throw a plastic bag in there. Somehow it got caught and it was trapping everything. Um, and it backed up uh, in, into my basement. So, you know, and, and those things get sucked into the, our sewer systems because they're on the street. Um, right. But folks who are putting diapers and whatever else down the toilet, um, that's insanity. It's going to cause problems. 
or female hygiene, hygienic products yeah. and all that. Yeah. Or wipes, which or wipes. supposedly flushable and they're not. Yeah. They're not flushable. They don't degrade. Yeah, yeah you should to start. You shouldn't even put facial tissue in right. Uh, right. in your toilet because that doesn't degrade. You know, basically it's toilet paper and whatever you produce. Right, uh, exactly. That's it. Yeah. End of story. Um, <laughs> So okay. let's talk Great, Lake, Great Lakes and Lake Michigan a little bit here. And they won't go into too much graphic detail. Yeah, no. Well, but you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. It's it, it's graphic, but it's important. I mean, yeah. this, you know, yeah. the reason we're civilized is because we know what to do with our poop. Um, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now, we, we have a question that came up from Domenico um, okay. D'Alessandro. He's asking if MWRD uses mycelium-based filtration to handle some of the more subtle chemical pollution? Um, I don't actually know the answer to that. I don't think I've even heard that term before, but I'm happy to, to go back to our engineers and ask and get back to the gentleman. Um, yeah, and I know that your staff is watching and, and they okay. take notes on this, uh, yeah. and they've been really helpful in, in setting this up, and so my, my kudos to, uh, to yeah. Dean and Richard. <laughs> uh, some of the chemicals that get in the lake, you know, Regular filtration systems not handling, so I'm sure there's other methods employed right now. Right. One um, of the things that you're addressing here is uh, um, the restoration of Lake Michigan, and I'm and I'm interested in that because it doesn't sound like that's part of your mission uh, to restore sections of the lake that might have crumbled. How does the MWRD play into that? Um, so there was a report put out by NOAA that said something about um, lake erosion over the next few years will be greater than it's been over the last 30 years. Not lake erosion, not lake erosion, but shoreline erosion. And um, we in this area like to think of the Great Lakes as part of the shoreline. And mm-hmm. Lake Michigan and all the other Great Lakes are also under attack in terms of shore erosion. Um, so we're, happy, we're helping to, to combat erosion by providing funding to help repair the shoreline, the shoreline around Chicago. So, for instance, last April, our board approved the $1.5 million um, fund project to, to make repairs along Lake Michigan near Morgan Shoal to prevent mm-hmm. further erosion and to protect Lakeshore Drive from further erosion, from, from damaging waves. So I don't know if you've noticed during some of these huge rainstorms that we that used to be like every 20-year storms, now it seems like they're every three-month storms, yeah. and the way onto Lake Michigan, and there's a lot of homes along the lakefront that, you know, the, the waves get so high, sometimes the waves crash very close to, if not into their homes. And so we have a very vested interest in that and making sure our short, keep protecting, again, protecting the lakefront and ensuring that, you know, the, the water is, is um, the, the environment is safe. And so by investing in projects to help help our shoreline ultimately helps all of us. All right. Not to get nitpicky here. But mm-hmm. how does working on the shoreline uh, fit into the mission of treating stormwater? And well, I can see we're stormwater because that's part of stormwater if if it's washing up and taking away shoreline. Uh, but uh, I was thinking more of wastewater, uh, whereas Lake Michigan is is our clean water. Right. So investments um, to restore our natural habitat, i.e., the shoreline. Um, will be vital to uh, the Great Lakes and help communities deal with the impacts from climate change. So if we have, you know, a strong, sturdy shoreline, um, a strong and strong 
30, um, the, the homes and areas around them. Ultimately, I think that that helps all of Cook County, all, all of the residents that use the lakes. And, and I think it, it directly serves our mission in protecting the environment. All right. Uh, one more thing before we let you go. You've been involved in some uh, grants to uh, area municipalities for infrastructure. Um, those include places like uh, Calumet City, the Calumet City Green Alleys Project, the Countryside Park Parking Improvements, uh, Pervious Concrete Alley Improvements in Des Plaines, uh, Green right. Alley Program in Lyons, Green Infrastructure Alley Improvements in Maywood, Detention Basin Naturalization in Oaklawn, and River Trails Middle School Green Infrastructure Improvements. Um, I'm happy to see that a lot of them have to do with alleys, which have been neglected for a long time. Absolutely. So ultimately, we're hoping that combined, all these projects will soak up more rainwater and, and stormwater and prevent it from overwhelming those local municipalities' sewers and their and their um, storms their stormwater collection systems. And so it'll help keep home, keep, help keep water out of people's basements, out of businesses and in our tunnel systems. That's the goal of that project. And um, I would say that the, the, the investments for those projects range in price, in, in price from 89,000 to almost $1.5 million, um, ranging from five to as benefiting structures from as little as five to 138 different structures throughout those seven communities. And you had a lot of uh, applicants, uh, and I imagine you'll have more. And, and, I, and, and uh, do you plan to give out more awards? Um, I'm, I'm assuming that at some point we will certainly give out more grants. Um, we'll have to you know, see how these go and get these completed and then start the process again. All right. Before we let you go, I know that the MWRD is always doing events. You've got stuff going on. You, you must have something coming up that you want to tell us about. Well, we always have our virtual tours. So and, until we start doing our regular tours, again, we invite people to do virtual tours. Um, as we get to warmer weather, we often we give out tree saplings because we're part of a restored academy project. So we'll have maple saplings and other tree saplings that we give away at most of our treatment plants. Um, we have drug take-back programs that happen all the time. Um, we have a Black History Month program coming up this Thursday that people can tune into. And we'll have a bunch of Women's History Month programs happening. So, yes, there's always something interesting happening at the district. Yeah, and if folks want to find out uh, more about this, all you got to do is go to uh, mwrd.org, um, and yeah. it's all, all there. We also give out um, a mulch, or, or um, now it's not called mulch. Compost. I'm having a brain. Compost. Thank you. Oh, compost, thank you. Compost. Yeah. Are, you, are you doing the rain barrel programs this year too? I'm doing the rain barrel program. So lots of giveaways, lots of things for community organizations and residents. So please log on to the site or give the office a call. We'd be help, happy to help any of our residents with any of those things. Kim Neely, Du Boucler, thank you so much uh, for, for joining us again. It's always good to catch up with what you're doing at the MWRD. Um, and uh, we'll bring you back. We'll, we'll talk some more. And, and we hope at some point to be able to give away a rain barrel uh, on this show. So maybe we can arrange that, huh? can definitely arrange that. And a concert with my daughter. <laughs> ah, absolutely. Okay. I'm ready for that. Uh, Kim, thank you so much. Uh, you, you have a great Sunday, okay? You too. Bye-bye. Oh, okay. 
It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're going to the One Earth Film Festival next, so stick around. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. A wave of catastrophes is steadily approaching. We must turn the tide and act now. Let's try this again, shall we? Let's work together and turn the tide on climate change. Let's nurture our land and support Earth's magnificent creatures, even the small ones. Let's turn the tide on choking air pollution and cut down on useless waste. Let's protect our old growth forest and heal our burning planet. Let's turn the tide for our children. The 11th Annual One Earth Film Festival, March 4th through 13th. Get tickets at oneearthfilmfest.org. Once upon a time in a place called Mzansi, the people love driving cars everywhere. They use lots and lots of electricity and chop down many trees for firewood. And then a very strange thing happened. The weather began to change. In some places there were droughts where before there was rain. In other places the rivers flooded. The grown-ups realized they were contributing to the strange weather. They discovered if they used clean energy and less electricity, they could save Mzansi for their children. What happened then? How the story unfolds is up to each and every one of us. Switch off, recycle, change. Help save tomorrow, today. Welcome, Raj Patel, to uh, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're so glad to have you here. Uh, Raj, um, I'm I'm so honored to have you here. You need to know about Raj. He's the uh, co-director, co-producer of The Ants and the Grasshopper, which will be at the One Earth Film Festival. Uh, which runs from the 3rd to the 14th of March. It's mostly online, as I said before. You can participate in some local screenings and the uh, opening on the 4th. Uh, it is the kickoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Raj is a, uh, a James Beard award-winning activist and New York Times best-selling writer. Um, he's testified about food and hunger to the United States, the UK, and EU governments, uh, and uh, his book on the food system, Stuffed and Starved, has been translated into a dozen languages. You're also the author of The Value of Nothing and Seven Cheap Things in Three Minutes, 45 Seconds, one of the best <laughs> titles ever. Um, and, uh, but as I wrote on my blog, and folks can go to MikeNovak.net 
to see this. I think the thing that impresses me most about you is uh, that you've been tear gassed on four continents uh, protesting the World Bank and the WTO. So uh, it's like a friend of mine, well, my partner, Kathleen, one of the, uh, she wrote a book that was banned in South Africa. Um, and she always had that on her resume. Now, this was during apartheid. Um, and, uh, and that was one of the things she was always proudest of. Um, and that says something. Uh, if, if, if you're being banned, uh, it means you're making noise and uh, you're, you're scaring people. Um, and that's and that's a good thing. It's not like the banning books here in the United States right now. Now, that's a different thing. And I don't know if you noticed, Peggy, but I've got my new if you look in the lower right corner there, it'll mm-hmm. pop up at some point. We've got a, a new yeah. uh, slogan about um, reading banned books. And I was also going to point out in your newest book, which I see behind you, Inflamed. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Thank you, Peggy. Uh, and tell us about that. What's uh, what's Inflamed? Uh, inflamed, in short, uh, you will have noticed uh, that you or people that you love um, are increasingly being diagnosed with inflammatory diseases, whether that's sort of irritable, irritable bowel syndrome or uh, anything from sort of... Uh, Alzheimer's to certain kinds of cancers are are inflammatory diseases. Um, And what I and my uh, colleague, Dr. Rupa Maria, do uh, is explain why it is that we're seeing this huge bout of inflammatory disease, uh, not just through COVID, but even before COVID, there's a vast increase in inflammatory disease. Uh, But we're linking that to to the fact that not only is your body inflamed, but our communities are inflamed. And our planet is on fire too. And the reason that all three of these things is happening, your body, the planet, and our communities, has everything to do with the history of the world, uh, you know, really for the past 600 years. So we trace out how it is that this inflammatory disease is is spreading, uh, but also offer some ideas about how to fix it that aren't just about, you know, eating differently or putting an app on your phone to stop yourself seeing blue light at night, uh, but actually engaging in community activism to to actually change the world. Um which brings me to a question I have to ask you is, uh, given your activism and, and the things you've participated in and, and the books you've written, um, would you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist about the world right now? Well, you know, uh, th- th- there's, there's a famous phrase uh, about being an optimist of the intellect and a pessimist of the will. Uh, sorry, a pessimist of the intellect and optimist of the will. So what, what that means is, look, you, you look at the world around you and you've got to think, oh, you know, things, are, things are looking pretty bad. Uh, you know, we, we were reducing our carbon emissions through the pandemic, but now things are just way back up like they used to be. Uh, you know, species kind of came back onto the street, but now we're running them over like it's you know, business as usual. Uh, the sixth extinction is going on. And every intellectual bit of data suggests that we're still heading to hell in a handbasket. Uh, but you have to have an optimist of the, uh, you know, uh, to be an optimist of the world. You need to be optimistic because otherwise all hope is lost. And hope isn't just sort of the sort of thing that you cross your fingers or you put it on a T-shirt and hope that your elected official will deliver it. Uh, hope is what you do uh, to make the world better. Uh, and I do see a lot more people engaging in activism for change. And that that's you know, practical optimism. So I, I think it's all right to be both, Mike and Peggy. I mean, you know, it, it, you can't be self-delusional about the world we're in, uh, but you can't be, uh, you know, you, you can't despair either. Well, uh, you don't make films uh, like the one you did if you're a pessimist, uh, especially since it took you 10 years. And that's wow. just a, an insane 
a length of time to do. You know, um, I hate to tell you this, Raj, but Charlie Chaplin was cranking them out one a week. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But we were were following not in the footsteps of Charlie Chaplin, but in uh, those of one of the great sons of Chicago. Uh, So uh, Steve James, uh, some of y'all may know, uh, as the director of that great Chicago film, Hoop Dreams. And Hoop Dreams took five years to make. Uh, and Steve was uh, you know, telling this amazing story of young black men in Chicago and the NBA. And it took him a very long time to put it together. So 10 years uh, doesn't seem too long, particularly since he was there at the beginning and he set us on our path. Uh, and then the reason it took 10 years was because we started off telling one kind of story. And uh, we had you know three or four years worth of footage from Malawi, a small country in Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it turned out that our lead character decided that she wanted to get behind uh, you know, the scenes of climate change. She wanted to know why, despite everything that she was doing in Malawi, in her village, to fight climate change, actually the big problems were stemming from here, from the United States. She yeah. wanted to come here. And so we figured out a way for her to visit. And then we figured out what the impact of her visit was over the next couple of years. So that's a 10-year project right there. Uh, right. And one of the things you say uh, about the film that it is so remarkable, uh, you say it's a meditation on change in Malawi, in the United States, in a household far away, on a farm nearby. And you go to American farms and you and you talk to folks there. We'll get into that in a second. Yeah, and I, I have a couple of questions on that, too. So. Oh, I have lots of questions uh, about that. <laughs> um, it's a 10-year documentary project launched from the recognition that to defeat climate change, We'll need big transformative change. And I don't think people understand the kind of transformative change that is really needed. They, uh, especially in America, we, on our day-to-day lives, we, we tweak and we, we dabble, nip around the edges um, and, um, um, and don't understand that that's not going to get the job done. But you, again, say we ask whether such change is possible and what it would look like. We found answers to both, and more than that, we were changed in the making of this film because the film itself evolved as you went yeah. on through 10 years, didn't it? And then and, and you had to take it past COVID. <laughs> That's right, Peggy. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the, the film originally was going to be a, st- a story about how change happens in Malawi. Uh, The reason it would be an important story to tell is because most people think, oh, Africa, that's where the hunger is. They have no idea. We must send uh, whatever, uh, you know, uh, food aid or technology or whatever it is over there, and that'll help them. But the story that we needed to tell was showing how to end hunger, a group of farmers and activists and teachers in Malawi have ended hunger in in some villages, uh, particularly child malnutrition, by growing plants differently, using agroecology, which is a term we heard a a little earlier on, uh, but not just using agroecology to grow things, but also using it to make sure that work is distributed equally in the home. One of the reasons uh, that there is child malnutrition sometimes is because men aren't doing enough uh, and they're taking too much food and uh, making women uh, not only farm and carry water, but also, uh, you know, look after the kids and do a whole bunch of other things. And in the end, uh, child malnutrition flourishes because of gender inequality. And so, you know, this film was just going to be a story about how actually some brilliant ideas about ending hunger in Africa are coming from Africa. And it involves not just planting new things, but also uh, ending patriarchy, you know, for us men to realize that we got to do our fair share. 
Uh, now that's a fantastic idea in and of itself. It's a brilliant. We should, it, it would be great to have some of that over here in America. Um, but uh, but then uh, you know the, the one of the things that was going to happen initially was uh, we were going to have a narrator, right? Uh, so someone in in the in the scratch track in the original version, it was me doing my sort of David Attenborough thing, where it's like, and, and here we are uh, in in Malawi, and if you listen very carefully, you can hear the Malawians doing their thing. I was very excited. But that's obviously wrong because uh, the the story is about uh, folk in Malawi actually being much more powerful than anyone ever gave them credit for. And to repeat the the sort of cinematic mistake of saying, well, and here we are, and here's something completely different, uh, would be to compound that error. And so in the end, this film involved getting rid of me and uh, getting rid of all these, you know, the, the voices that normally intercede and trying to interpret for you what's going on and let the voice of uh, our key character Anita Chitaya uh, take over that story that so is that a, that. I, I, I love your impersonation of uh, Attenborough <laughs> <laughs> that's just delightful uh, uh, wait, do you do any others uh, I'd like, like to see them uh, you, you can try and get me doing James Bond and after that it's all, it's all downhill <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but you're right. You could call it, uh, you know, as I'm watching, I'm, I'm saying, uh, to myself, this is a feminist film. It's a social justice film, but I guess you could say that about any film that's about, uh, environmentalism is a social justice film because, uh, it affects us all. And that it, it, it's, uh, it always raises that question is that if we don't change now, when are we going to change? How are we going to change? Can we change? Um, and the fact that you changed yourself and your approach to this film is is remarkable and and it turned it from this vision you had at the, at the outset to something completely different um as you say and now for something completely different um, <laughs> um so uh, let's talk about the i know peggy you want to well i'll let you jump in peggy because we have questions about the part of the film where anita comes to america and talks to farmers, mm-hmm. and uh, to uh, mostly farmers, um, yeah. and, and the people who are working on their farms. Right, right. exactly. Um, did you want to? Did you have a specific question, Peggy? Well, one of my questions. I was just curious as I was watching it because the farms were primarily Wisconsin, Iowa. Um, how the selection process? How you chose what farms to bring her to? Um, so, what Anita wanted was to come to America and persuade all Americans that climate change was real and that uh, you know that, that we can and should be doing a little bit more than carrying canvas bags and drinking out of metal straws and, and driving Teslas. Uh, so she, you know, her, her vision was, she wanted to speak to anyone and ev- everyone who would speak to her. And that was the problem because we tried to get interviews with you know, senior government officials with the you know big foundations that invest in agriculture with any of the big companies, any big farms in, in the United States, none of them would speak to us. None of the food corporations would speak to us. No one would speak to us. Well, can I but ask you, can I stop you there for a second? Why? I mean, it seems to me that they could take 10 minutes out of their day and pat you guys on the head and then it, they would look good because they had they can say, yes, we talked to the folks in this documentary. Why would they not even give you the time of day? Uh, I mean, a couple of reasons. One, I, I am, as you mentioned in the introduction, something of a troublemaker, uh, and it doesn't <laughs> take much to feel, 
to realize that, that uh, they, they would be in a difficult conversation because I would be asking questions about, uh, well, you say this in your corporate rhetoric, but actually it turns out X, Y, and Z in your corporate action. And you know, one could say that about any government agency or any large corporation. Uh, and they know that, I mean, that's never the sort of thing you walk into as a corporation, yeah. uh, knowing that you are going to be uh, smacked upside the head uh, with the truth. And so that, 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 that's, that they were wary. But then there's, Anita has a theory of change. She says it in the film. What she says is, if you go to someone's doorstep with your problem, they cannot ignore you. And that's right, I think. You know, her method of change is to go to people's houses and sit down and talk and share ideas and in the end, engage in transformative conversation and transformative work. Uh, and the way that these companies and government officials wanted to avoid that was by not inviting her to their doorstep. So uh, mm-hmm. they, they know that this, actual, this approach works uh, and they would rather keep things as they are. Wow. So you end up going to these farms. Some are small, some are not so small. And you talk to the folks there. I have to say it was a little bit disturbing to me that even the organic farmers would look at you and say, well, there's really nothing we well, first of all, we're not even sure there's climate change and there's really nothing we can do about it. And, and to do something, it means we'd have to change our lives. And they, and they, and they look very serious and, and very concerned that it would be difficult because we have to change our lives. On the other hand, somebody did take a different course uh, in, uh, after talking to you, the, the fellow who ends up raising the organic chicken. Uh, so it's... Yeah, you, and, you, and, and that's kind of its own thing because it's a disconnect. The guy with the organic farm thinks everybody who works with him obviously is on the same page and learns well, they're so, not. I, I, it, was, it was surprising for everyone that, that uh, in fact, even in the organic world, there, there, there are different strains of why you do organic. And I think this speaks to a very American moment here. Um, you mentioned earlier on, Peggy, we had to get this film through the pandemic uh, and in Malawi, you know, when the pandemic happened, you know, I think the death toll in a country of 17 million people, initially it was like 17 people. I mean, it was, re- it was very small because everyone was sequestering themselves and doing, you know, we would ta- they were taking care of one another by uh, obeying some basic public health laws. And of course, the rest of the world looks at the United States and looks at our death rate and is aghast that we won't do things for other people and we're only thinking about ourselves. Now, that matters in the organic world. Because some people eat organic food not because it it destroys the environment, not because uh, farm workers who are the most exposed to these uh, toxins will suffer the consequences not just in their bodies but for generations through their families. That's not the reason they do it. The reason they do organic food is because their body is a temple uh, and that what we must put in our bodies is pure. And so the origins of thinking about organic food is not woven into our duties to other people or other beings uh, as, as it is in other countries. But here in America, our approach to organic food is very selfish. And that selfishness is something that I think, you know, when Anita comes from Malawi, and when, you know, frankly, anyone comes to the United States from almost anywhere else in the world, that they're, they're sort of boggled by that oh. we might end up doing the right things, but for such toxic reasons, that when some, you know, some moment of crisis comes like COVID, all of a sudden that selfishness is laid bare. Uh, and so, you know, even among lefty sort of uh, organic types here, we've had raging debates about vaccines. When uh, everywhere else in the world, the organic community understands, you know, this is what you do to take care of other people. Uh, whereas here, uh, the suspicion of big 
ag and big chemistry uh, is so vast that we forget our duties to one another. Uh, and I think that's the big story here, you know, in, in thinking about the ants and the grasshopper. The, the, the title of the film is uh, not the Aesop's fable ants and the grasshopper, um, where, you know, the ants are working away and the grasshopper is lazily sitting around. In Malawi, uh, the ants and the grasshopper res- refers to this thing where, you know, if, if there is a dead grasshopper, one ant can't lift it up and take it back to uh, the ant nest. But so right. many ants together can. And in America, as Anita observes, there are so many ants, but we're not we're not lifting the grasshopper. And she's wondering why. Me too. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of us uh, who are who are wondering <laughs> why. And um, uh, you've uh, brought into stark relief uh, the issue that we have in this country, um, the the whole America first idea. Um, and and I've known for a long time and Peggy and, and I both understand this, that uh, we're just part of a, a grander scheme. We're a part of the world. And if we don't recognize that, we'll all go down together. The, the ship will sink and everyone will go down if the richest country in the world cannot figure out. The richest country in the history of the world cannot figure out how to solve, well, how to reach out, how to reach out to other people. Um, and, and there's something wonderful. By the way, you've already uh, started to make people think. I'm looking at our chat uh, here, and uh, Deb says, uh, childhood maltrition as a result of gender inequality. Fascinating. And yeah, it, and, and you do illustrate that um, yeah. in, in your film. And I know we're talking the film and one or film festival, but I hope to ask you as well about Generation Food Project and how it all ties together. Um, sure. What so many things, uh, but, but the, the idea of uh, this particular film—it was going to be one among many where we were uh, showing that around the world there are communities right, you know, right now that are doing the organizing and doing the work to transform the way that we eat uh, in ways that are you know, that, that crack open our imaginations. So, for mm-hmm. example, the gender inequality uh, you know, story uh, is actually, it, it plays out here in America. If you look at which group of Americans is most likely to be food insecure, it's uh, female-headed households, single moms. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's because of the way that we structure our society. We don't particularly care about uh, single moms in this country, not, yeah. not in the ways that we do about sort of billionaires, for instance. Uh, and so that, uh, you know, th- that story is one that we wanted to sort of weave through uh, this bigger project. But we've got lots of other stories uh, about you know, land reform. We've got stories about indigenous folk in uh, Peru who are you know, bringing seeds back home. And uh, oh. through COVID, we'll have lots of other stories as well. So uh, watch this space for more. It, it may take another 10 years before you see the next film, but it'll be worth it. <laughs> I, I have a feeling I'm not going to be able to live that down. Uh, bring it. Uh, it's okay. I, I'm not going to compare you to Charlie Chaplin anymore. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Um, uh, one of our uh, uh, viewers just wrote, uh, here's a quote from David Mitchell. Um, In an individual, selfishness uglifies the soul. For the human species, selfishness is extinction. Hmm. I, I think that's right. And that's, that's, that there's a very useful phrase from um, Southern Africa uh, called Ubuntu. Uh, and Ubuntu is the idea that I am because you are. And it, it's just a recognition that uh, you, you know, we, we only exist because of one another. The, the sort of Ayn Rand fable of you know, self-made men 
uh, is, yeah, again, everywhere else in the world thinks Ayn Rand is some sort of dystopian nightmare. And here uh, she, she is, uh, you know, held in high, high regard. Um, well, <laughs> among, among some people. Among some people. All right. Um, and uh, well, before we let you go, though, we, we, we should once again mention uh, the One Earth Film Festival uh, coming up uh, here in Chicago, mainly online. As we said, and the way you find out about it is go to oneearthfilmfest.org. Some of the, we've done, uh, we've shown trailers from some of the <laughs> remarkable films on the show. We're going to show a few more before yeah. uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, obviously, well, the, the answer. Go. Ahead, I'm sorry. No, what were you going to say? So the ants and the grasshopper is on March 9th, uh, both virtual and live at Chicago Public Library's Austin branch. Right. Um, and some of the other films are The Regeneration, um, Bring Your Own Brigade. We've seen the trailer for that about uh, fires. Uh, you know, the, the world, as you mentioned earlier, Raj, is burning up. Um, and um, it, the sooner we recognize that, and, and the sixth mass extinction, as you're talking about, the next thing we're going to talk about on this show is a, a tower that's being a glass tower, 14 stories being put up in a Chicago suburb that is going to, uh, next to a forest preserve that is going to be a bird magnet. And yes, uh, and I see your expression, it, it, it's insanity itself. And we don't understand that in the middle of the sixth mass extinction, we cannot be that careless or that cynical. Um, and yet we are, um, there's a, anyway, back to the films, there's a exposure, um, uh, uh, about a, a trip to, uh, by women to the polar regions, uh, extinction, the facts, speaking of extinction, girls for future. Um, we, um, we showed on this program, um, they call it here octopus making contact, but uh, it was called my octopus teacher. Uh, when we ran the trailer, I'm not sure which is the real one, but Understory, A Journey Through the Tongass in Alaska, um, one of the great places left, natural places left on the planet that, it, if some people had their way, would be cut down tomorrow um, and without regard to what the consequences would be. Um, so, all right, one of the things I have to tell you, Raj, is that um, we've already had one person say, that uh, Raj, my favorite guest you've had on your show. All right. Oh. Uh, and um, uh, I'm feeling that way too. I I'm going to ask a favor. Could we bring you back to talk about these issues uh, in the future? Well, I'd love to. I'd be, I'd be honored. Uh, no, <laughs> we would be honored, but um, you have a lot to contribute. And uh, I, I might make you do your Sean Connery uh, again. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, pleasure uh, for for you. I I think I could do that. <laughs> uh, we have a viewer who says, "Mr. Patel, you would be an amazing James Bond." <laughs> uh, but uh, I urge people to watch to uh, go to the uh, the One Earth Film Festival. And by the way, the films are free, but they there is a suggested donation. Uh, come on, folks, pony up, reach into your your Americans. You've got the cash, all right, to, to help out the One Earth Film Festival and to expand your horizons, to, to learn about countries outside of your own. And this is one way to, to do that. I, I urge you to watch The Ants and the Grasshopper and, and these other films. Be part of the One Earth. Oh, and I, and I haven't mentioned 
the uh, the uh, uh, the theme this year is turn the tide. Let's uh, turn the tide. Let's turn. Well, I'm here. It just says turn the yeah. tide. Um, and uh, that is what we have to do if we're going to survive. Um, you know, and, and I think it's a, it's a, a double message. Uh, it's also about somehow about the pandemic. Uh, we need to turn the tide on that. If we can stop being selfish, get vaccinated. Um, think about uh, the rest of the planet, not just yourself. And uh, we need to turn the tide on uh, climate change as well. So anyway, you don't need to hear me talk. We, we want to hear Raj talk some more. And so uh, we're, we're definitely going to invite you back. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's it's uh, and have a have a wonderful day. Good luck uh, with the projects coming up. Oh, by the way, I invite people to go to Raj's uh, website. It is Raj Patel, R-A-J-P-A-T-E-L dot org. It's linked to my blog post. So you'll have all of the information there. You can see what he's up to. Um, and uh, we'll talk again, I hope, soon. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be back to talk about that bird tower of death when we return. A garden designer once told me, start with winter when choosing your plants. And I can see why. Here we are, the middle of January, it's freezing cold, and looking around, there's just not a whole lot of appeal in the way of color. As the holiday season wraps up and we're taking our lights down, it always cheers me up to walk past this plant, Ilex reticulata otherwise known as the winterberry holly. Now, the berry from a holly can bring a little joy into any landscape, but what makes this species so spectacular is it's deciduous. So these wintertime berries don't share the spotlight with any foliage. It's a true eye catcher, but realize that it's not just catching your eye. The birds will make an absolute feast out of these berries. But with any luck, this fruit will persist well into the winter months and even into springtime, depending on where you're at. It's native from as far north as Nova Scotia, all the way down to Florida, and as far west as Ontario, Wisconsin, and Missouri. Now, it prefers the wet, swampy areas, but I've seen it do well in a variety of landscape situations. We planted this one right next to the downspout, and it's doing just fine. Now, Ilex verticillata is dioecious, which means this is a female plant, and it requires pollination from a male plant. The male plant should be planted within 100 yards or so of this one, otherwise the berries won't be produced. They'll do okay in partial shade, but they'll do much better in full sun. As far as the concerns for this plant, I mean possibly some fungal disorders, but nothing that can't be easily managed. And also easily managed is the pruning. This is not a giant. They'll get about 6 to 10 feet tall and roughly about the same in width. So I would encourage you to consider one of these plants in your landscape if you're anywhere from zone 3 to 9. It's a great winter plant that stops you in your tracks and might bring a little bit of cheer to an otherwise bleak winter's day. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sips-on of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. 
And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Oh, look at Annette. She's been working on her computer um, to to get uh, that image thing. You don't even know, folks, because we were talking about this before the show. But uh, wow, I, I'm impressed. Although the uh, the ground is moving there, you're having an earthquake. In I'm your, trying. Uh, I'm trying to use a different laptop here, but that's apparently not working. So what do you yeah, mean? It is. It is. It is. No, it's, it is. No, it is. It is. We've lost the letterbox, so yeah, no, it is working. Oh, great! Yeah, no, no, don't, don't, just stay, stay there. It doesn't seem right, but okay, I got you. All right, don't, don't move, don't move. Uh, there we go, there we go. <laughs> We're good. We're good here. Uh, <laughs> and that's Annette Prince, who is with the Chicago Bird Collision Monitors. Um, on the right, you see Kim Polka. She's a, a Skokie resident, but uh, an activist and and the woman who and is a glassmaker. Uh, and and look at this! Look at that studio. We love. You. Tell us about your studio a little bit, Kim. Uh, I'm when I'm not protecting the birds. <laughs> I'm melting glass, and a lot of I make nightlights and giftable items out of glass. Lots of birds. I make birds. Do you really? How cool! I do. Oh, what? Well, I'm 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 tempted to make you run and grab one of them and and show us uh, from somewhere in the studio, but. Uh, uh, think about it. Well, oh, there we go. Okay, good. Okay. So this one isn't finished, but here's a little cardinal that's in process. Aww. He's got to be trimmed. All right. And that'll be a nightlight. Um, I, my website is easy to find. It's my name. So Kim Polka dot. Kimberly Polka dot Kimber- com. Dot com. Kimberly Polka dot com. Should I have called you Kimberly instead you of Kim? You can call me whatever you want. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kim is fine. My friends call me Kim. You're my best friend now. Uh, okay, great. <laughs> I I call you effective. All right. Trying. Be- um, you you uh, you started a petition um, to um, to uh, to have uh, the board of trustees in the village of Skokie reconsider uh, putting up this Carvana Tower. Um, and you got 6,800 signatures on that in a matter of really a few days. It wasn't that long at all, was it? It was three weeks. Um, and we're at, we're at almost 7,700 now in another week. Um, people are still signing. Wow. See, I didn't even realize it was still, uh, still going on. I couldn't wait to tell you. (laughs) Oh, great. Well, you know what? I, and I didn't put the petition in my blog post because I wasn't sure that you were still, uh, doing that so yeah, i've got it on the rundown so i'll just put it in the comments here yeah put it in the comments and then we can uh we can add that uh and and i need, realize that i need to to zoom in a little bit here too there we go so sorry about that uh and before we get to you guys and we appreciate having you here because it's a very important issue we got several others it's you know peggy and i are are, are trying to save the world today um and it's you know it's such a drag to have to save the world um, but that's the way it goes. Um, needs to be needs we, to be healthier. It needs to happen. Uh, there's a uh, Save Bell Bull Prairie public meeting this uh, tomorrow, um, February 21st uh, at 6 p.m. Um, and you can find out more about this if you go to Save Bell Bull Prairie on Facebook. If you go to savebellbullprairie.org. Um, and then, so that's that's a public meeting where folks talk strategy. They talk about that you get news about the latest, and the latest is that the uh, airport board had a 
pat ourselves on the back uh, meeting the other day where the, they talk about the state of the airport and um, how how great everything is and how you know and how wonderful uh, what they're doing how many is. Jobs and how much this and how yeah, much that. Blah 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 blah. Wait wait <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, uh, you know uh, how I uh, I re- I react to that. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there you go. Um, and, uh, and, and I haven't even played uh, Picard yet. So, uh, uh, we, we might have that's to, coming. that, that, that's coming at some point. Um, but at any rate, um, you'll find out at this meeting tomorrow night at 6 PM, you can get, get on zoom and be part of it. Uh, you'll learn what's going on, uh, as, as of now, and nothing's changed, nothing's changed. It looks like I don't think that the bulldozers will be rolling on the first but you never know on march 1st it, it's hard to say because mm-hmm. the airport authority uh continues to behave as if um every nothing's changed so um uh, except it's still in the courts and we don't know what will happen but there's also a rally on thursday the 24th at rockford at 60 airport drive in rockford at 4 p.m and then there's the Greater Rockford Airport Authority board meeting at 5 p.m. So the idea is to get people to show up for both of those, which one in the same, and then you stick around. You go go to the rally and stay for the meeting. Um, so that's happening, too. Uh, and, uh, Peggy, uh, in a related issue, uh, you're, you, you have information about Waukegan. Yeah, thanks to uh, – we've, we've had it. A- Brief mention on the show a couple of times, and thanks to Robert for uh, putting up in the comments here. Um, Cheryl DeVore, today Chicago Tribune. Uh, Front page. Every runway. When when should public land be sold? Environments event, environmentalists say rarely. For officials say deals can benefit communities, and this has to deal with um, uh, Waukegan Airport looking to buy 52 acres of the Savannah from the Lake County Forest Preserve to expand the airport in Waukegan. Front page, Chicago Tribune today. So I'm sure we'll be talking about this very soon. You know, and this is exactly what Raj was talking about uh, just a few minutes ago. It's, um, and, and we talk about on the show all the time, one after another. There seems to be no recognition that you could possibly be doing damage to our planet by gobbling up and paving over all One these lands, right, uh, or by putting a 14-story tower um, in, in, in next to uh, a forest preserve, what could possibly go wrong? So, for folks who are not as uh, versed, well versed on this as we are, all four of us are. Uh, Kim, I want you to start. If you can give me sort of the uh, the very quick version of all the steps that have happened in this uh, issue in Skokie so people have a sense of exactly what's going on. Can you do that for us? Of course. Um, Started with a November 18th, as far as I know, when people concerned about the birds became aware, started with a November 18th plan meeting where the Carvana Tower was approved on a condition that they would address four things, one of which was bird strike mitigation. They came back on January 6th to the plan commission 
And they had all of these letters from experts that had been gotten from around the country by Annette and another Skokie resident named Bob. Um, and while every expert was saying full power coverage and lights out during migration, Carvana was proposing less than it was a little more than a quarter of the tower at 53 feet or 50 oh, Okay, feet. hang on a second. Annette, you're moving your computer. I'm going to have to mute you if you're doing that because it's uh, overriding the sound. Uh, Sorry, from... I'll put on myself on mute. Um, okay, well, I've, I've got it. Okay, uh, back to you, Kim. Um, so, so that was it, that was where I got really amped up because I really believed if they had these letters from experts, which I and I consider a net expert, I was sure when the village had the science, if Carvana didn't want to follow the science, that the village that I live in would follow the science, and mm. that was clear that that did not happen. They came back with pitiful mitigation that would not have really addressed the issue. It was not what they were supposed to and, do, and, 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 and specifically, what was. The mitigation. So the mitigation that was recommended by every expert that sent letters, and we're talking about regional, state, and national experts. We have Dr. Clem, who's been studying birds for 48 years, and then we have Illinois Department of Natural Resources, IDNR, and everyone in between, Illinois Nature Preserve Commission, Friends of the Forest Preserves. I mean, there's an entire packet of letters that went to the village and that Carvana had seen that said full tower and lights off during migration. Carvana absolutely refused to do lights off. And instead of the full, at that time, it was a 140-foot tower, they said they would do 53 feet of markers on the windows. And, that, and that's what I call pitiful. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at yeah, it's the because like, birds don't fly any higher. Well, now the village of Skokie claims that birds. So they. So this has been. You know, Skokie is louding themselves. Look at what us and Carvana did, and we have been fighting them for months. And mm -hmm. there was what seemed like theatrics. I think Mike pointed that out really well at the February seventh meeting. So they keep giving. They keep spoon feeding a little more mitigation. So where they landed was 63 feet, 10 inches of the building and markers, which is still less than half. And, and when Skokie posted it to, when they sent an email and had an attachment, Skokie, who the night before were not experts on birds and kept saying that, had the gall to say that the markers are going up 63 feet, 10 inches higher than birds in our area fly. It's absurd. It's absurd. Yeah, because birds, uh, you know, well, I don't know if you realize this, but the bird union uh, has told its birds that they can't fly any higher than that. So uh, they're all they're all paying attention. Um, and 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 I have I want to clarify something here because I've heard different uh, building height uh, uh, statistics. Some somebody said it was 114 feet. You're, uh, you're saying 150. I see here on their own mitigation that it's 135. What is the actual height of the building going to be? Do you know? I believe now it's 135. Dating back when we're talking about January 6th and November 18th, I believe the document said 140 feet. Um, but the latest number, the, the, the proposal that was approved on February 7th is for a 135-foot tall building. Yeah. And you sent me uh, the Skokie, Village of Skokie Carvana development mitigation measures that they agreed to at the meeting, which was uh, 
basically <laughs> kabuki political theater um, because there were there were hundreds of and I don't know if there were hundreds. I, I'd be interested in how many people actually showed up. I don't know if you did a count, but there were a lot at this meeting, and they were packed uh, in into the halls. Um, uh, as as a matter of fact, um, here is a uh, shot of of what was going on this was uh, the meeting room that was jammed and then there was the overflow room here where people were sitting around and uh and viewing the proceedings uh on camera so um the bird Plus mitigation everyone protesting outside well no no the, the protesters came inside um and it's then they, well- there are there are plenty of people who emailed me who watched on YouTube, and there were people who stayed outside because they were concerned about COVID. Yeah, and I don't know if you understand. Uh, something happened to me, and I don't know if it happened to everybody else. I was watching the meeting, and suddenly the signal went away. Um, so you're nodding. It, uh, what was that, Annette? It went back. Oh, I'm sorry, Annette. I'm, I've I've still got you muted. I am. I apologize. Here we go. Say yes. You were saying. I just said the feed dropped at one point. Right. And then yeah. I had to scram. I couldn't find it for 20 minutes. Uh, and I was really unhappy about that. Um, but I finally did. You know, I kept refreshing and refreshing. And then I had to go yeah, out of the later in the evening. I went oh. out of the browser and then back in. And then finally it was there. And I thought, okay. I, I mean, I know those things happen. They happen to our show here. Okay. I get it. I get it. But still, it was really frustrating. Uh, so anyway, the bird mitigations... <laughs> that uh, they came up with at this meeting um, were uh, between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. internal and external lighting, as well as all signage will be reduced to 50% of what is allowed by village code, southwest and north elevations, Um, not east, because that's what they want. uh, That's facing the Edens uh, Expressway, which work around the billboard. But, you know, and that is another thing. There, there's so many things wrong with this. Uh, the bird strikes are one of them. The, the, the going, flaunting, or rather flouting, rather, flouting the law, the, uh, the, the agreement among the north suburbs with the Edens Expressway that there be no billboards. This is a billboard, folks. This is as clear as day. It's a billboard. All right. So this is flouting that law. Um, right next to the Optima um Apartment complex down the uh, street from the Holocaust the Museum. Holocaust, right. Um, and then they say during bird migration season, March 15 to June 15, and then August 15 to November 15, internal and external building and light sign lighting on all elevations will be turned off between 12 a.m. and 7 a.m. Because, again, as birds know, they, they, they the bird union d- decreed that they should not fly before 12 midnight. Um, and... Uh, and uh, the uh, bird deterrent Carvana will install and maintain American Bird Conservancy approved two inch by four inch patterned window markers to the exterior of all glass surfaces on the building up to 63 feet, 10 inches high, because as we know, birds never fly higher than that. Uh, and on and on and on. Uh, and also they, they, they say there will be an independent research study to monitor bird strikes for at least one year because, you know, one year's uh, data will certainly solve the problem. Uh, I, that's where I want to go to you, Annette, because... Well, and, you, and at least they, they're providing bond money in case they go out of business to tear the building down. You know, something tells me it's going to cost more than $200,000 to tear down that building. But um, It'll be worth it. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right, Annette, uh, let's address... Uh, uh, 
some of this, uh, the uh, what is likely to happen, because you deal with, unfortunately, dead birds all the time. Um, and what is the, um, the Chicago Bird Monitor, uh, Collision Monitor's uh, 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 opinion about what's going on? Well, we're certainly glad that, that uh, you know, due to the work of the tireless work of advocates and, and thousands of, 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 of members of the public constituents and scope who have spoken up uh, that, that there's more mitigation in place than would have been there if this tower went through as it, it could have been approved in November when it first came up for a vote. Uh, we had commissioners and trustees that did support us in this idea of saying that there needed to be mitigation for the birds. Uh, so that's certainly there uh, thanks to the, this issue being raised. We think that Skokie could have done more, that they've only kind of taken care of half of the hazard. And when something is a threat and a hazard, you don't take care of half of it. Uh, you don't fill half of a pothole and say, well, we hope that cars only hit the half of the pothole that we fixed and that nobody gets hurt or damaged on the other half that we weren't willing to, to completely uh, mitigate. So we're disappointed that the village uh, who we felt could have required whatever they wanted Skokie, whatever they wanted Carvana to do. Carvana wanted the, this parcel of land. They wanted their billboard. We feel that Skokie had it within their power, knowing what the experts uh, were recommending and what would have been best for them as a village to say that they that they they did the the green uh, uh, intervention that they could have that Carvana could have had a win for saying that they uh, took all the steps necessary and the birds would have won. So we we are disappointed that uh, we didn't get the complete mitigation we wanted. We think it is a good thing that Skokie is open to putting an ordinance in place that will ultimately take care of the next building and the building after that, because ultimately you can't fight these buildings one at a time, building by building, battle by battle. If ordinances are in place in cities and governmental areas that, that will set these requirements out you, and, and set a, an expectation of what, that we can do better, that we can make things safer and that we don't have to have bird injury and death at, at any of these designs if people are, are willing to to put these things in place, which are often, uh, they're energy saving, they're sustainable measures that are beneficial to everyone. Going back to your earlier discussion, it, it helps everyone. These, these birds are important to all of us. They, a lot of people have a stake in what happens at this location yeah. in Harmswood. Uh, not just the Skokie residents, the, they are putting birds that belong to all of us at risk. They're putting an environment that we all depend yeah. on at risk by not wanting to take the full measure that they could have. Um, Which you is... I want to get this question out because I know I'll forget it. And then I'm, because I've been meaning to ask it for weeks. Um, yeah, and, and I've got uh, a point I wanted to bring up as well. Okay. You on ha hang, hang on that thought and then, then I'll let you do that. But my question is about uh, where they say, there will they're going to have an independent research study monitor bird strikes has the chicago bird coalition monitors been asked to be part of this at all no they haven't designated and and you need to be very much aware that this is not with the intention that should they find that there is an uh, excessive amount of bird injury and death they made very clear at the meeting that they will do nothing additional to to fix this so this is not being done to see whether the mitigation efforts were effective if they prove to be ineffective, if they prove if it proves that that there is, uh, a, you know, a, a, an exceeding amount of of, of bird strike, um, 
occurrence at this location, they said very clearly it, 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 is, it is being done to make it to show that they they're interested in learning more about bird strikes, but that they will not, <laughs> but they're not going to uh, fix that either. So, hey. no, no, they said it is not being done at all with the intention. We wanted it to be a way for us to either assure and, and hopefully congratulate them if mitigation worked and then put other things in place. Well, if, but, but if, the if, reason if, I ask is that I, I imagine you guys want to be there to see what's going on. Do you think you'll even be allowed onto the property to, to uh, do your own research. We certainly hope that people are going to be able to to look at, at this building and see what's happening with it. I think the public is going is going to ask for that. I think uh, we would be happy to work with that because it's you know it's something certainly that we've done with other buildings and been able to show that the mitigations have been effective. I mean that's the whole point of uh, of, of monitoring would be to to point to any additional areas of concern or to verify that that mitigations work. I mean that is beneficial. Uh, but we're, uh, at this point, we don't know what, what Skokie or Carvana, are, how they're going to proceed on that. So at we some point, a, go ahead, Peggy. I was going to say, we've got a, a one of our viewers asking, what's the Cook County Forest Preserve's position on the tower? Are they involved? Oh, can I answer? Yes. Okay. Um, oh. I I mean, I have my theories. They, they have not had a position. I um, reached out to... I guess it's the president of the board. Somebody gave me his contact information. I sent, I tweeted him. Um, my suspicion is, and I only know this, DuPage, for instance, their forest preserve is separate, has a separate budget from DuPage County. They are not directly tied DuPage County does not cover the forest preserve. And there was, they were trying to get separate, they were trying, I'm sorry, DuPage was trying to pull them in under their umbrella. And there was a fight because DuPage County Forest Preserve said there's a conflict of interest. The county government is concerned with economic development and the forest preserve is concerned with preserving wildlife and our natural habitats. Now, Cook County government is directly over the forest preserve. So I do think it's a political issue and there's a conflict of interest where the Cook County government who is in charge is focused on economic development and do- doesn't want to meddle. That, and that's a guess. It, was it Arnold Randall that you talked to? I did not talk to him. I reached out to him. Okay. Um, somebody gave me his name who knew that he was well, the president. And I think somebody did before, but friends of the forest preserve, which is a not-for-profit has sent a letter. Um, but the forest preserves of Cook County as a agency has not. Right. And it doesn't surprise me because this is something that I, I talked about years ago, probably a decade ago on this show with uh, Arnold Randall uh, about why the forest preserve district is not separate from the Cook County board, that there should be two separate boards. Friends of the Forest Preserves would like to see separate boards, but that is, that's, that's the problem that they have these two agencies uh, internally working against each other. It's like the IDNR, which is uh, supposed to be protecting our natural resources, but also exploiting them at the same time. How do you, how do you reconcile that? I think IDNR should be split into the, the side that preserves the natural resources. And then if you want the economic development on the other side, go ahead and do that. But the, the, a lot of agencies are like that. They have that internal split. So Peggy, you let's bring up your point. Um, and we only have 
couple minutes here, but just it, it's it, this goes back to what Raj Patel was saying in the first hour too. All the most of the coverage that we've seen on it in, in the Tribune, the Sun Times talks about oh the pro bird people, oh feathers are getting ruffled. It's it. it it's just mind-boggling how the whole thing is viewed as oh, there's a few birds, and for, we'll we'll placate the bird people and just not understanding as you were saying, Annette, how everything interplays and the birds belong to everybody and belong to nobody. Well, well and, and what they contribute to the ecosystem and what they contribute to our planet and the fact that we've lost three billion birds since yeah. 1970. And and what's and- a few more if they hit the tower because we're going to make money. And it's infuriating to me as a Skokie resident, and I actually did meet with a trustee last week, and I said that to him. I said, the mayor referring to the Skokie birders, Carvana referring to the bird people, feels to me like they're trying to dilute. I'm, I'm concerned about our environment. The birds are a part of our ecosystem. If this tower was a danger to caterpillars, I would be doing a petition to save the caterpillars. Yet they're trying to box everybody in as if it's a very segregated issue. And it is not. I live on the opposite side of Skokie from where that tower will be. I would be fighting for the coyotes, the foxes, the fauna. I care about our environment. Yet they're deluding anybody who's speaking out to it as a Skokie birder. And I also want to point out before you cut us off. um, (laughs) Don't worry about it. Before all right, that's public, all the time we have, folks. <laughs> Before public comment, the mayor said, and you were there, Mike, the mayor said, we're not going to save the planet tonight, folks. I don't know if that was a poor choice of words or him showing his hand, but it certainly tells me how he was thinking. It, it was both. And I was there to do our part to save the planet. Yeah. And I just don't think that they find that as important as anything else right and and it seems like after a couple of days of 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 blowback where where the the board of trustees realized ooh, we this is a this is a live wire uh this is a you know we got we got involved in this then they the 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 spin machine came out and since then uh they've been patting them they're breaking their arms patting themselves i you know i worry about their arms because uh they're patting themselves on the back for uh, you know we have now the strongest mitigations in the entire world for birds they didn't exactly put it that way but it sort of feels that way um and all that points out is how bad the mitigations are um you can go to my website Annette sent me some information about uh, a bird law that was passed in Illinois last year, but that only applies to government buildings, so Carvana is not going to be affected by that. Uh, Mike Quigley in Congress is trying to get a bird law passed um, and has been since 2013, apparently. Um, so they're, they're, they're in spin mode where they're, they're trying to say, we've done such a good job on this. If you look at the uh, Tribune, and I put the link on there, oh, my God, the, the, tortured, wow. lo- the tortured logic. That article of, is that was, It was truly a bizarre editorial from the <laughs> Chicago Tribune. And in the end, you know, they keep saying, uh, well, this is a really dumb idea. And then at the end, they say, but we support it. Um, ah! Uh, just, you know, it's and it was so full of ruffled feathers and all of that stuff, all the puns, you know, which, which diminish what you're doing. They make light of it. 
Uh, so uh, and, and they credit themselves for having uh, come to this great revelation about it, where whereas it was advocates and and others that really dragged them kicking and screaming into into doing something. All you have but, to do uh, is look at it's the Chicago Tribune for God's sake, okay? Uh, it's owned by uh, a bunch of uh, you know brokers, whatever uh, company. And, and, and this was a, well to clarify that was a Tribune editorial board position. I know, which makes it even yeah, worse. As, it's not as wasn't a writer or something like you know one of the staff writers. This was the editorial boards. It, it was as if the Tribune guys said, "Put your opinion in a hat. We'll pull them out and write them all in this editorial." And then they did, and that's and that's the way it worked. All right. Uh, so really quickly, I, I, I very much like to say that there's going to be a meeting this Tuesday uh, at, with, with the board of trustees, right? In which we it's, it's open for public comment. It's going to be on the agenda to discuss the Carvana Tower again. Uh, we are going to again talk about how those mitigations could have been better, could very easily have been improved. Uh, Skokie could hold up for higher mitigation. And if anything, with all the questions that are involved regarding um, the the environmental impact, the economic impact of Carvana, the social impact of putting that tower there, we would ask that there could be a delay in the vote such that more due diligence takes place to understand to have Skokie's own sustainability commission do uh, a review and, and uh, they never got a chance to review the Carvana plan and it is Skokie's very own sustainability commission who should be able to give their opinion on this issue. So if anything, uh, we would like to see this issue uh, not be resolved on Tuesday, but being uh, given a chance for, for further examination. So are you looking for the same sort of turnout that you had on February 7th? We're hoping for it. We're asking oh, people sorry. are coming back. All right, but that's what I wanted to know. I mean, is this it? You want the same thing to happen because you guys testified for hours there. That meeting went till twelve thirty in the morning, um, and uh, uh, it was uh, it was just so remarkable to see all those impassioned people speak so clearly about what was needed, and then just watch the board so clearly. You realize that they were never going to vote. Uh, with prepared statements. Yeah, prepared statements. They they knew what the outcome. It's like the, our our Supreme Court now. They know what the decision is, and then they issue their tortured logic on how they got to it. You know, before the uh, deliberations. Yikes. Um, okay. Well, uh, folks. Yeah, you can turn out uh, for that meeting on Tuesday. Um, this issue, I I don't know, is is over. Um, I hope it isn't. Um, it, it just seems, um, a, a, a can little, I, can I say, yeah, go if ahead. Folks Kim. Want, if folks want more information on the meeting, they can email me at protectskokiebirds at gmail.com. And I will send them information about the emailing email uh, about the meeting. Sorry. And that list will be deleted once this issue is resolved. Yeah. Uh, she does send those out. Yeah, that's a good way to, to keep up, uh, with, uh, what's going on? I want to. We're, we've run way over time. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I didn't cut you off, Kim. I'm not going to do that. Uh, this is too important. Rick might get mad at me, Rick DeMaio, but uh, that's the way that goes. Uh, thank you, Kim Polka and uh, Annette Prince. Um, there was there are all kinds of things we didn't get to. We didn't get to how Skokie is governed by one party, single party rule. We didn't get to, uh, and it's not Democrats, folks. It's it's the caucus party of, of Skokie. We didn't get to light pollution. We didn't get to truck noise. We didn't get to, to diesel pollution from trucks. I mean, all this stuff is going to be part 
of the equation, and maybe that needs to be brought up uh, this Tuesday. So um, good luck to you both. I'm sure we'll be talking again on the show. Thanks. Thanks for your support. Nice, uh, nice guys. to be here. All right. Appreciate it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, meteorologist Rick DeMaio is next. So this is a very simple PAR meter, and I'm going to measure the PAR value of this fluorescent light, which was purchased at a Home Depot specifically for growing um, and advertised as a seed starting light, minimally for PAR value for just seed starting. So just to the seedling stage, you want a minimum of 80, really. Um, 75 to 100 will do the trick. I would say 100 to 150 is far better. Um, but right now, at about a foot above the plants, uh, we're getting 49. So now we're going to, let me plug in our happy leaf light. This is our 17-inch Procyon 2.0, um, and it's a really great all-around light. Um, they also come in 33-inch lights, which I have set up here, which is where I'm going to actually put my seed flat. Let's get it about a foot over. I'm getting a value of 335. I don't really have a favorite tree specifically. Trees are so different and at different ages they have different things that make them interesting. Scott's pine trees have fantastic bark. The giant redwood is fantastic again because of the bark and the size of it. My name is Gary Hill and trees are my thing. But I'm also into shrubs. Keep calm and prune on. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners, too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in Zones 4 and 5. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. And welcome back uh, to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Mlecky. Uh Rick, so sorry. Uh, we, we went a little over, but too important an issue. It's such yeah. a weird, weird situation in Skokie with yeah. the Carvana. And, we didn't, and, and the other thing we didn't even bring up is that Carvana is kind of a sketchy company. That if you, you do a little search on it, mm-hmm. they, the people have had real issues with the company and the delivery mechanism and on and on i i posted a couple of those links up on my blog post as well so one more thing on that editorial we put the link up but as we were just discussing even the title of the editorial carvana beat the skokie bird lovers but vultures could be circling (laughs) you know everything's a, a a damn pun when it comes to the natural world it's it's when you when you're writing about the extinction of bees it's here's the buzz on bees you know, and stuff like that. I, I can't tell you how annoying I find all of that. Uh, you see that sometimes in the weather world, too, I would imagine, Rick. A lot. <laughs> so just, just to let you know, guys, if it's um, if it's 40 degrees and sunny at 1030, you can go over by 10 minutes. I'm fine with that. 
<laughs> okay, 40 degrees and sunny. It looks like a beautiful day. What is the temperature right now? I haven't checked. Uh, let me look. Oh, by the way, I, I was actually listening to one of those reports. Um, I've got 41. Guy, you got yeah, 40. <laughs> 41. Okay. So you can, so if it's 41, go over by 11 minutes. How about that? <laughs> And then I got to edit it when it goes, when I put the podcast together for these radio stations I send it to. So, oh, well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm looking right now. It's, um, holy smoke. Uh, this is amazing. Um, 39 at O'Hare, 43 at Pawaukee Airport. It's 45 at Waukegan. Get that. 45 at Waukegan. Uh, it's 37 at Kankakee. Um, and I have to ask the question to you guys, why, why is it cooler South and warmer North? I don't know. Can you tell us? Peg? I would just say probably something having to do with the amount of snow on the ground further South versus up North. Yeah. Peg gets the answer. That's exactly right. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. It, it, It was, it was really amazing to see the high temperatures on Friday, across areas of central Illinois into Missouri and Kansas, uh, where they had eight to 10 inches of snow and readings were like in the mid thirties while it was like 53 in Des Moines and nearly 60 in Omaha, Nebraska. So this time of the year when the ground is warm, uh, and the air is dry and has no clouds, uh, do you know that the angle of sun that we have right now is similar to what it is on the 20th of October? Think about that. Woo-hoo! Yeah. It's really amazing. Yeah. yeah. So you can easily get to 60 oh, degrees. Along the days we're getting, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it's just and also you noticed yesterday, uh, you know, beautiful sunset, a uh, lot of snow on the ground, a lot of reflectivity in the atmosphere. So I, I, I always say that the second half of February um, can end up being enjoyable from a standpoint of winter weather um, when it's not harsh. The question is, uh, will it turn back to being harsh? And I think the answer to that is yes. Very harsh. It's going to get very cold around here this week. Ah, well, it was, you know, it's interesting. It was 20 degrees yesterday. Um, and here we are. It, it's certain, oh, it was, gonna get it, it was it, the wind chill yeah, yesterday. It was, it, was 20, it was 20 degrees for a high, but I know what Peg is going to yesterday morning. If you were out and about, it was brutal. I mean, yeah. we had we had northwest winds of like 30 miles an hour. Um, I woke up at about seven. The air temperature was ten. The wind chill was minus. That was really freaking cold, and it never really warmed up yesterday. Um, we had those snow squalls move through the area uh, Friday night. Um, after Friday was kind of a quiet day after we had all the snow. Go ahead, Peg. I have a question. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> why did snow squalls cause a National Weather Service alert on my phone? Yeah, because what they why, what why they do now a- is they. It's a new thing. It's called a snow squall warning because they've they've discovered that just putting, you know, snow showers in a forecast um, doesn't really do anything. Uh, They have to basically tell people that there's a chance that if you're driving, uh, the visibility is going to go down to a half mile. Um, The wind is going to get, you know, anywhere between 30 and 40 miles an hour um, and has been – it has been associated and attributed to uh, many instances of multi-vehicle accidents when you get these snows. Um, and people nowadays, they're, they're distracted when they're driving. They're not paying attention. Look what happened 
in Senoy on three different interstates, 57, 55, and 39. And that was just with a normal snowstorm when we had the warnings out for two days. In addition to that, you had Interstate 65 just littered with cars and trucks just going too fast. So when you get these snow yeah. squalls, uh, it's more or less um, uh, like it's almost like like a shower or a thunderstorm with snow. And the same system that produced the snow squalls in northern Minnesota did the same thing in southern Wisconsin and northern Illinois a day later. And then across areas of New York State and also eastern Pennsylvania. Yes. So the similar type of dynamics uh, were basically moving this thing along. And the snow squall warning did more than about, I think, 45 minutes. But, man, the visibility dropped like crazy. And I included that in one of the links as well. So um, it's important to note that the Weather Service is becoming more and more aware. They have to literally tap people on the shoulder and say, this is what we mean in the weather. Obviously, what they've done in the past doesn't always work. Yeah, and uh, it was very funny because I saw uh, somebody tweeted, why are we getting freaking snow squall alerts? And and, and, and the person wrote, it's BS. And, and it was just kind of funny. They were so uh, annoyed by by the whole thing. Um, and uh, Though you're annoyed, you know, deal with it. What do you want us to do? Not tell you that you're going to have a half mile visibility? Well, and you won't be anything in front of you? What, what, what do they want? It's all, it's for free anyway, right? Right, exactly. Well, and and in Chicago, I got zero. There was nothing here. Nothing happened at all. Right. It, it, it pretty much it pretty much weakened as it moved south. But if you would have uh, looked at that link that I sent you, um, if you haven't, go ahead and look back at it because it actually shows that the visibility went to literally an eighth of a mile. Which um, link are you? Rock. All right. Which link are you talking about here? Because I'm I'm trying to find. Uh, did you send it this the morning? One that says. The one that says snow squall warning. Um, <laughs> Boy, if but I can, if if you I look can at track the it. Link, yeah, it's, it's like the second or third link. But if you look at that, uh, there's actually a, a, a picture in that. And if you want to, you know, share that with your viewers um, and listeners, um, it's pretty impressive because the visibility went down dramatically. And I guarantee you, if it would have came through at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, everybody would have been like, Oh my God, this is round two. Why weren't we told about this? But um, I mean, the forecast worked out pretty well for that system that came through on Thursday. Yeah. Um, I think we probably could have maybe did a better job on that last little band of snow that came through. That was a really tough call because that, that band literally intensified um, east of the Fox River and began the weekend before it got to Lake Michigan. It wasn't lake effect. It was basically a mesoscale band that really ramped up uh, you know, literally an inch an hour. But again, when you have temperatures in the low 20s, 30 mile an hour winds, visibility down to about a half mile, um, and all the residual salt on the road basically were washed away uh, from the rain. Um, that's one of the reasons why the roads got so bad. So yeah, here's, this is great, Mike, that you're showing us because within that first band, um, literally you had maybe five miles visibility. And that second band, when it moved over Rockford, whenever you start to see dark green on a radar, that's a half mile visibility with snow easily. Even when it got to, you know, where Peg is in, in uh, Southeast Lake County there or Northeast Cook County, I'm not too sure exactly where you are, Peg, but um, it weakened quite a bit as well. But in areas around DeKalb and Elgin, Woodstock, Rockford, man, it was it was really, really bad. And in some parts of Wisconsin, they got about one to two inches with this. So 
what whatever came down was um, was very efficient at literally turning the roads from dry to icy in a very very short amount of time. Yeah. So and you... in summer, that would that storm, I presume, would be a roll cloud. How does that come in in the winter? It, it would. It probably would have looked like a roll cloud, and eventually probably would have produced like fifty to sixty mile an hour winds and showers and heavy thunderstorms, and it would have been handled with like a severe thunderstorm warning. Yeah, without a doubt. But if you look at the upper level dynamics, the winds at about 12 to 15,000 feet were blowing from the west-northwest at 120 miles an hour. So when you get that much wind literally pushed down to the ground, it almost acted like a derecho. Um, So what, what meteorologists have to look at is the vertical temperature profile, the wind direction. This was unidirectional, meaning it literally from the top down, it was in the same direction. Um, and if you remember, it was really windy uh, Friday afternoon. I mean, those winds were gusting at 30 to 35 miles an hour. In addition to that, you had blowing snow. So they put out a winter weather advisory for blowing snow in areas south of where the snow squalls occurred because you had all this dry snow. And then they had to put out the snow squall warning. So the Weather Service earned their keep this week. This was a really tough call. Uh, but if you think about it, we had – you know, we had heavy rain. We had almost an inch and a half. Um, luckily, the ground thawed out quite a bit prior to that, so we didn't really get much in the way of any flooding. Uh, but there were some ice jams. Yeah, this is this was really impressive rain. Um, yeah, by like one, what, Wil- Wilmington? Um, uh, it looks like Westmont, 1.53. Uh, but I know O'Hare. Something uh, you can- Sorry, I meant the ice jam. Yeah, yeah, the ice jam. Uh, yeah, the ice jam, I think, because I was mentioning that. Um, you literally had a five- to six-foot rise of water on some of those rivers. So the Cal- uh, the Calumet, the Iroquois River, uh, the Kankakee River, those rivers, you know, they can rise five, six feet, but all they're going to do is they're going to flood um, forest preserves and farmland anyway. It's not a big deal. When you get a rise of that height on the um, – uh, the East Branch of the Page River as it runs through Bolingbrook and Naperville, that's a big deal. But, Mike, if you can go back on one, sure. one main fall, if, if this storm would have occurred similar to the last event, we had two events come through, if this rainfall would have come through with the Arctic air more firmly in place, yeah, we'd be talking about 18 inches of snow on the ground around here because this wow. would have produced easily – 12 to 15 inches of snow on the front side and then an additional three to five inches on the back side. So, when, you know, when the rain stops, we'll go, wow, look, the rain stopped. The snow melted. Um, everything is like, you know, back to where it was in, like, I think it was like late January when we had that one Saturday afternoon when we had nothing on the ground. And as soon as we lost all the snow, it's like snow the next day. Yeah. Um, but again, I think what was most important about this event is it completely removed um, any of the residual salt from the previous two or three weeks of snow. And that's one of the reasons why the roads were so bad on Friday or Thursday afternoon. Also, it just snowed really hard, really fast. That'll do it anyway. But when you get snow at 20 degrees, um, salt and, you know, rush hour traffic um, is a bad mix for trying to keep roads clean. It's just, There's really nothing you can do about it at that point. Uh, I had those, uh, you sent some really uh, pretty amazing uh, YouTube videos about that and i had them here and i and <laughs> i i had them loaded up and then they all advanced uh to the next videos and i and i can't figure out how to yeah. get back to the ones that were there yeah, just, just click on it and go back to the beginning what was really amazing was i was just watching 
You know, I was just looking for some stuff to um, uh, update my students. The station I do, you know, during the afternoon. And all of a sudden I look at this guy. He's like, well, he's driving on the road somewhere in central Illinois. I'm like, that's today. And I'm like, that's now. And I'm like, this is a storm chaser actually streaming live on YouTube yeah. as he's driving. At first he went from heavy sleet to snow. And I'm thinking to myself, does this guy like know what he's doing? But he started to describe the, the, the radar, the deformation zone. So clearly he knew what he was doing from a meteorological standpoint. And he knew when to get off the road. And then all of a sudden he comes upon a bunch of trucks that were heading southbound, just north of Bloomington Normal. Um, and you see cars and trucks literally just all mangled. And he was able to get all the way around and come back south and look at that. And that was, I think, one of the snapshots I sent you. And here I'm looking at this going, oh, my God, this is terrible. You can actually, you know, perceptualize that, you know, or conceptualize rather that people could have died in this. Yeah. Um, and then you find out, you know, a half hour later that there was a worse accident in, in Illinois on our um, – Indiana and another one on Interstate 39. And and you go to yourself, okay, at what point do people not understand that when it's quarter mile visibility, you slow down so that you can see your headlights in front of you? Because as soon as it as soon as one person starts to slow down and you try to as well and you can't, that's when everybody starts to jackknife. And those roads in central Illinois, you know, it's all it's all farm fields. So the snow blows across it very easily and then it's literally like a ditch so it's not like you got to you know bounce up against a guardrail here or you know a concrete median here um you're rolling off in the ditches and and i i i, I don't know what it takes mike and peg i i really don't but i know when it gets that bad um i stay off the roads you know it doesn't matter whether you have four-wheel drive all-wheel drive airbags any sort of thing that'll help you out um, those things are just, you're, you're not going to win against mother nature during those kind of events. No. And, yeah, four, and four, four tires to skid with. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and watching those yeah. trucks and, and I'm trying to, to, to get the, it'll, yeah, it will not, it, um, I had it and uh, don't even ask me why I don't have it right now, but, um, watching the trucks that as they come down and you, and you can just look at it. And and there's all kinds of drivers out there. In one one of the videos you showed, one of the drivers obviously can't see very well. So now he's in the middle of the lane, uh, between two lanes, and slowed to a crawl. And then there's this guy coming up behind him, going very fast. And and then there's these trucks there coming. And I'm going and I'm watching the video and I'm thinking, you're going too fast, dude. And he starts to jackknife. And yep. and it's just sliding. And then the next truck comes, and that truck starts to jackknife. And the one after that comes, and that truck starts to jackknife. And you, you're all going too fast, and you don't even know it. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't. I mean, you don't. You don't know you're going too fast until it's too late. And that. And that's. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. So many times, and that could easily have happened with the snow squalls the other night as well. So I. I. I don't know how to handle that, other than to have. Some sort of some sort of flashing lights along the side of the road that's that like can, can can sense and maybe this will be the case in another I don't know thirty years I mean right now we we take it for granted that we can look at our phone and we can actually see where there's bad traffic because there's sensors in the road that can sense how slow cars are going and you go oh I'm not going that way I'm going someplace else but 
hopefully in the future, these sensors will detect not only slow, but also traffic that that's going anywhere. And maybe we have these lights along the road that go, that, that literally goes, um, check ahead has stopped traffic. It has stopped something like that. And, and I think it, it can happen on the interstates. I really believe that. And in the end, if you look at the amount of damage that was incurred by the, 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 the traffic or the trucks and, you know, people injured, I know there was two people who were killed. You can probably say that paying for a system like that will probably end up paying for not having those trucks and cars damaged and people losing their lives. So I, I, I eventually we'll get there, but um, there's got to be an incentive to make it work and to figure out where it's cost effective and where it's not. Clearly, you don't want to put it in the middle of North Dakota, even though they get that because you don't get that amount of trucks. However, if there's any sort of a blizzard on the roads in South Dakota, North Dakota, they shut the gates down. You can't get on the interstates. Um, I don't think we have that here in Illinois. I, I, I really don't. Um, and maybe we maybe we should, right? Maybe we should. Maybe we should say, sorry, Interstate 55 is closed because we can't chance it. But I guarantee you, you'll get the same truckers who are protesting right now up in Ottawa, Canada going, the government can't take my right away from traveling on an interstate road that I pay taxes on. I guarantee you'll get that. And you probably will. But, you know, when you see two passenger cars completely crumbled by trucks that were going too fast, you know, was it the truck's fault? Was it the car's fault? I don't know. But we can make it no one's fault by keeping it from keeping people off the roads on those situations, because clearly we can't trust the judgment of human beings most of the time in those situations. And here, and here's, uh, let me turn that sound off because we don't oh, need you can, you can keep it on. I think the sound is great. <laughs> okay. I'll bring it down just a little bit and you can, and you can, this is just one of the things, I mean, yeah, this is what and, happened. And those pileups happen so fast. Right. It's, it's, and, you know, and Peg, and Peg and Mike, here's the thing. What what really disturbs me is that you will get people from one side of the political aisle that will stand up and cheer and applaud anybody first responder. You put a uniform on, they're the best people, they're the heroes of the world. Well, you know what? The people who are responding to this are first responders. Why put them in harm's way? by having human beings not realize that this is an extremely precarious, dangerous situation that we don't want other human beings have to risk their lives to go and try to save other people who didn't exercise good judgment on this. I mean, it really comes down to that. It really, really does. Think about if you're a first responder having to go out in this type of weather and now you're trying to extract people from these cars in 20 degree weather and then not knowing what, whether or not there's other trucks or cars coming down the road as well. It just yeah. it, 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 it frustrates me to no end that that these men and women who are doing the first responding have to be in this situation. I, I, I don't I, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, it's 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 it, I, you know, I don't know. Oh, I can't show that one. All right. There, there, there were a couple more. But this is. This is uh, yeah. this gives us a pretty good idea of, yeah. of what, what and you know what this was on. this was all filmed uh, by this guy Brian Wheeler who was out chasing 
came upon us, came all the way around the exit on Tawanda, came all the way around and literally sat there for almost four hours filming this. Wow. And yeah, and, and you just look at this and you go, oh my God, I cannot believe this. And this was, this was one of four incidences, four. And yet we had winter storm warnings out. The National Weather Service even had, even had pictures. Yeah, look at this. Even had pictures on their website what it would look like if you were driving. This, it, it actually showed this is what it's going to look like. And, and, and you go, I, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. Yeah. And wow, and it's and he stayed till night. Holy smoke. Oh yeah, he was he was there almost till almost till eleven o'clock at night. Now when I was watching this, I was one of like seven hundred and fifty people. The next day it showed that there were over a quarter million people who were watching his this clip. Wow. Because yeah, it was so compelling. Yeah. And and think about this. This this isn't in the mountains. This isn't in like like the mountains of Tennessee or Colorado. This is over flat land. So clearly gravity didn't have anything to do with it. It was just, you know, trucks going too fast. And I, it, it, if I sound upset and frustrated, it's because no matter how much we do to make these, you know, impact statements impactful, they're still not looked at as like, okay, that's what's going to happen. Maybe I just shouldn't go that fast. Or maybe I should wait or maybe I should take a different route. Maybe I should go local. You know, one of those things. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to get to, we we need to get to uh, to uh, some else what's going on. And I showed this a little earlier, but this is the the rainfall that we got. And as uh, you note um, uh, on your message, that uh, there's still parts of the Midwest that are pretty dry. And we'll show the drought monitor in a second. But this is the beneficial rainfall in the last seven days. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, our pattern. Um, we've been in it now for three weeks. We had, we had one week of stormy weather. We had one week of no weather. We had one week of stormy weather. That's three weeks. And in the same, in that same two week period where we had, um, you know, large areas of snow and rain, they basically fell from Southern Kansas, Northern Oklahoma through Missouri, Southern Illinois into Indiana, where you draw a line from like Milwaukee to Rockford to Dubuque, uh, Cedar Rapids, North and West. They haven't gotten anything. Um, and that's probably going to be the same thing over the next seven days. So the drought matter, I'm not too sure which one is next, but, well, but um, this is yeah, a 30 day precip here. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's amazing. There's very little moisture over parts of Iowa, um, and also parts of South, Southwest Wisconsin. So, you know, could this change with the flip of a switch? It probably could, and it probably will. The pattern is very active, but yeah, if you look at the areas of abnormally dry, moderate drought, and severe drought, and again, you go up north, uh, Waukegan, you go into Kenosha and Milwaukee, there's very little drought. Even though they got about one or two inches with the snow squall from Friday night, I think the one thing that keeps us from getting really cold is, A, we're already into the third week of February, and B, there's really not a lot of snow on the ground once you go from here northward. So most of North Dakota, South Dakota, um, Southwest Minnesota, there's not a lot of snow on the ground. And usually you get a lot of snow on the ground this time of the year. You could be just as cold as we would be in like, you know, late January. But I think you can easily take off five degrees for snow cover, lack of snow cover, and five degrees for sun. 
So instead of being have highs in like the single digits in the lower teens, we'll have highs like in the lower 20s. And it's interesting because that whole area of central and southern Illinois up until two weeks ago had like no snow. <laughs> so they, they flipped the switch um, like that. See you guys. All right. Take care. So uh, let's just uh, hit the road and uh, thank all the people who were with us on the show today, um, starting with uh, Commissioner Kim Du Bouclay from the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. Raj Patel, who was just awesome. Uh, He'll be direct- back. Yeah, he's going to. I'll be back. The Ants and the Grasshopper. Uh, don't forget to go to the One Earth Film Festival in a couple of weeks. Annette Prince and Kim Polka. And uh, don't forget, you can go out to Skokie on Tuesday and uh, make your opinions known. Don't forget the Belbo Prairie meeting as well. And Belbo Prairie as well. Uh, And thank everybody else. Until next time, go green or go home. Let's see if I can find this. Here it is. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 